0: Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night podcast. He is Chris Marley. I am Connor O'Hara. I have some big news. I finally understand what Devin White is talking about. Shout out Daisy Mae. Oh boy. I got on a horse. You did? Last week. For the very first time in my life. Shout out Ellie. That is my mother-in-law's horse. One of her three horses. I rode that horse. I controlled that horse. Whoa. I owned that horse. I was the boss on that She's horse. Really aggressive. Yeah.
1: I mean, the horse isn't here for you to hear that, so. I like it. I like the attitude.
0: But I I get it now. I get what Devin White is talking about. I'm not saying I'm going to go, like, full-on buy seven horses or whatever, but, like, I get the appeal of getting on a horse. Shout-out to everybody. That's three shout-outs I've given in the first 45 seconds. Uh, To everybody that has ridden a horse and been good on it, I was better than my wife on the horse, so sick brag to me. I'm uncomfortable.
1: Um, I I will say, it takes me back to my favorite quote of all time, Connor. I didn't ride a horse this weekend. However, could have found a piano. Pianos and horses, same thing. Are they? No. Remember what my stepdad said at Christmas? He was like, "You know what? I mean, the horses are just like pianos. Somebody just give you a horse. It's too that's much to keep true. up with." You know? That's not true. Well, you know, I mean, I know a horse guy, so that's all I'll say. Yeah, uh, a lot of work,
0: but yeah, I was in town for I was in, uh, in back in Indianapolis for a wedding over the weekend. Had a really good time. I have a question that I want to want to ask you. Before we get to we have a lot of stuff that we're going to get to. We're going to talk Chris Steele. We're going to talk some Power 5 head coaches. We have some peak off-season content that we're going to get to some some on our end. we got some rankings. What's what's the off-season on some rankings? Um, we have a lot of good stuff to get to today. But before we get to that, the wedding protocol for giving a gift. Oh, boy. I realize every person's different. Not every person's situation is different. Your relationship with whoever the bride and groom are different. I am pr- I've developed a pretty standard policy: hundred bucks in
1: a card. That is a solid play. Um, you get a full year now. I, I, do my friends put, really? Yeah. Do, do my friends put you up to this? No, was, no 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 no. Oof.
0: I'm just curious cuz you're you're going through the wedding process right now. You're engaged for everybody who doesn't know. And and you know, you've been to a lot of weddings before, so I'm just interested in hearing your experience <clears throat> and how this relates to kind of my my overall thoughts having gone through this.
1: So, my best friend Jeff, who I trust on anything that involves being a grown-up, $100 in a card, it's what he always did. Now, to be honest, in my 20s when I was a terrible person, I was notorious for showing up to a wedding empty-handed oh my. it was i Marla, it was Marla, so Marla, bad Marla. i didn't realize how dumb and selfish oh, that yeah. was and i'm very nervous about the karma that could keep coming around next year at the wedding regardless you get a full year you get one do, full year though, you do
0: i didn't have a single person who sent me a late wedding gift
1: i mean oh no i take that back i had a cousin who sent
0: me like a hundred dollar gift or a fifty dollar gift card to StubHub that i later used on beyonce tickets which was pretty fun
1: i mean i googled it if it, you know what, though? If it's a destination wedding, like, I'm not getting you a gift because you've already made me spend all this extra money to, find to go on a trek. Now. Yeah. I mean, it's any anything that involves over $1,000 for a weekend.
0: Okay. That's fair. Like, if you have to go to Puerto Rico or something, it's like your best friend. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think there are varying degrees of this, but one of the things that you will you will learn, the single best... The, maybe the single most underrated thing about like getting married, the thing that you're going to forget about, it's just going to hit you, is having the moment mm. after your wedding where you're like, oh, i got to go back to regular life. And if you're not going on a honeymoon, it's like, ah, oh, I'm going back to work in a few days, whatever. And you have this moment where maybe it's a day later, maybe it's two days later. Whenever it is, though, you're like, oh my gosh, we have all these envelopes with cards, full of cash and checks and gifts. And if you do, you know, because a lot of the time if you don't do a registry or something like that, or if you're a registry, like we did a half right. honeymoon registry um, and that worked out really, really well. It is amazing. And that moment, getting to experience all this is so fun. And not to be selfish or anything and say that's why you get married, but it's like my wife and I still talk about that and look back fondly of those moments being like, oh my gosh, this was, Remember, remember when we were just like the day later in that hotel in Indianapolis and we were
1: just like, counting cash yeah
0: unbelievable feeling i'm I'm not making
1: a joke when i tell you i am actively very nervous about the karma that i have earned (laughs) because of how stupid and immature i was in my 20s i was such a wreck so dumb
0: so yeah all right all right
1: glad you brought that up On
0: on a less happy note Florida fans, yes, I know we talked a lot of Florida stuff. I hope all the Florida fans liked our Jim McElwain podcast last week. It was a little bit bit different because of how we we structured the interviews and stuff and kind of overlapping them. We talked to Morgan and we talked to Neil separately, but pieced them together. Shout out our producer, Will, did a very good job with that. But... We are talking about something a little bit of a more current and a more serious note with Florida. By now, everybody knows the Chris Steele situation. Of course, the Florida top recruit in the 2019 class who has entered the transfer portal. And as we found out a couple hours after that news hit, it was because he was roommates with Jalen Jones, the four-star Florida quarterback who uh, also in the transfer portal. And he was there because, or he is there, because um, he's being accused of sexual battery of of two different women. Right. As it turns out, Chris Steele wanted to change roommates. We find out that the Florida staff rejected that request. His parents did not like that, and they're like, "Hey, let's let's you don't have to deal with this." And a lot of people immediately are like, "He's going to get his his waiver granted immediately by the NCAA." Oh, yeah, As I would on that. I wouldn't bank on no that. You think it's two years?
1: You're doing the right thing. Seriously
0: um shout out to neil blackman as well this is just the podcast of shout outs that's what it is uh neil blackman who wrote a great column for us on sds about the subject so twitter freaks out about this and then mullen flies to california basically to apologize said you know i messed up this is on me um says the door is open for him to return meanwhile florida players trayvon grimes rick wells kyle pitts they take to Twitter to troll steal right. and basically do a whole if you're not with us, you're against us type thing. If you're not a gator you're a gator bait. All of those pictures have since been deleted because, duh, why in the world would you do that? And Dan Mullen, all the while, loses three of his five 2021 recruits that same weekend. And another 29, 2019 four star recruit is actually going to Juco because he wasn't academically eligible. Right. All of this stuff has happened in a very short period of time and a very bad time for it to happen
1: in the middle of the offseason in May when we have nothing else to talk about. Nothing else to talk about. We're not a Florida podcast. Let me start by saying that. But it seems like it. But (laughs) there is, I mean, it it is, there's, stay out of the limelight. Just stay stay out of trouble. And there's so many layers to this. Let's, Let's go back for a second. Like, this didn't just happen because he requested to have a new roommate or change rooms. And it was denied. He brought this up in January, like right after he enrolled. And had a bad feeling, right? And and the reasons why were because of some concerns he had that I, I I'm assuming were about the character issues of his roommate, which turned out to be pretty true. And
0: and and yeah, it's, that's not to say that you know just because he's accused doesn't necessarily mean he's guilty. But like if you're being accused of this, obviously. Those concerns are confirmed, and, you're, and right. you're correct to at least have some some fears about that situation. Right,
1: and so all of that comes to light, and and you realize that, like, okay, this kid isn't just being high-maintenance, he isn't just being a prima donna, any of those things, and every single, I guess, turn the story took, you realize, like, the kid made a really mature and responsible and, like, measured decision, and the reasons why were things like his dad saying, you your last name stays with you forever, and... You know, if that gets dragged to the mud or there's anything that's like negatively associated with it, you don't need that, especially if you're trying to go, you know, progress into an NFL prospect and and further your career. On top of that, that ended up happening when his name was listed in the police report because both separate or both instances were uh, happened in their room. Everything he did, he did correctly. He didn't pout, he didn't whine. He asked in January and was told no. I'm so confused at the outrage from Florida fans.
0: So a lot of the outrage stemmed from this belief that what Mullen's, Mullen's words that have been kind of twisted a little bit... And they're, they're it's fair criticism, but it's also not. Because Mullen had the comment that's now infamous where it looks like he was commenting on the Justin Fields situation. We, we he can't was. necessarily confirm that. He probably <laughs> was. I mean, if we're being 100% honest... By saying like, hey, if you know we had players showing up and then just leaving because something wasn't what we said it was going to be during the right. recruiting process, I think that would be a really bad look for us. Now, I think this situation is a little bit different. Obviously, you can you know just kind of look at those two things on the surface and say, well, it's, your top recruit is leaving before he ever plays a game. That's a bad look. I think Mullen is more talking about playing time when he makes that initial statement and like kind of what's promised during the recruiting process. Having said that, it's still a bad look for you And to say, oh, you know, you have a kid that's leaving if things are different than what you said. If you said to his parents who are out there in California, hey, I'm going to take care of your son. I'm going to make sure that I put him in the best position possible to succeed. If you have that kid go to your staff and say, hey, I feel like I'm in a bad situation being roommates with this kid. And you're like, no, you got to stick it out. That's not a good look on your staff. And the negative recruiting for that writes
1: itself. So, exactly. I mean, the the problem is with, with what happened with Mullen is, He has spent the entire offseason making himself a target, constantly, actively doing it. And so when it first broke, I didn't know the severity or the seriousness of the actual, you know, like incident, like what happened with him leaving and why he left. But when you have spent most of the offseason openly discussing, yeah, you know what we use for our spring game attendance, we're going to like be trolled, you know, this would be for Florida State score or, you know, we're going to do the 14,000 thing, which I know he didn't orchestrate, but Florida fans did in general. And the entire offseason, there's no way that wasn't directed at UGA about Justin Fields. I just I would never believe that. However, if, even if we give him the benefit of the doubt, you're constantly in the media saying these things. The first thing that's going to happen if you have a single-player leave for whatever reason is you're going to look like an idiot and people are going to jump at you on social media because you've not created a target for yourself. If, if we were playing baseball and you struck out and I made fun of you for striking out and then I struck out... That'd be a pretty bad look. I would. Probably. I would, would probably deserve like you making fun of me a lot, a lot. So don't. I don't know. What's. The, I mean. What's the phrase? Don't throw stones in glass Twitter. I mean, it's like he, it's it's so <laughs> like dumb. That. It, 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 it's like and when when Florida fans were initially upset about it, what really blew my mind was Mullen should have just wore this, like just took the L and be like, you know what? Probably should have backed off a little bit. Probably shouldn't talk so much trash. This is a a unique situation, whatever. Because again, you have put yourself, he's done it to himself and put himself in the spotlight.
0: A lot of this problem and why Florida, it has to be frustrating for Florida fans at this point, is it feels like every piece of drama that's happened this offseason has been self-inflicted. Right. And if you're putting yourself in these situations where like, this is a situation that doesn't see the light of day, if... Chris Steele walks into whatever assistant he has to talk to to clear up this stuff. A lot of times it's director or player personnel. I'm not saying that that's who handled this with Florida. However, the situation worked. And you sit down and say like, hey, I, I just want to change rooms. I mean, it's not that crazy. It's not that crazy of a request. We were talking to somebody over this past weekend who was like, hey, yeah, th- this actually happens all the time. And it doesn't necessarily matter like who you are. This, this happens with, with freshmen, with college football players who are, are living together, people from different backgrounds, mm. whatever it is. But like this isn't that crazy of a thing, no. and all you had to do was say, "Yeah, like we'll, we'll get you, we'll get you switched, whatever, no big deal," because this is, I mean, <clears throat> it shouldn't matter that it's your top recruit. No. But the fact that it is your top recruit now, your margin for error in the recruiting game, if you're Dan Mullen, is so small. Right. And the stat that we keep bringing up, and that I brought up multiple times, is that it can't be overstated. Before this 2019 class, we forget that Dan Mullen, during his entire time in Mississippi State. Signed one four-star recruit from the state of Florida. And it was Cord Sandberg, who obviously now is at Auburn, oh, but he wow. played minor league baseball and did not play at Mississippi State. So you are still trying to make those inroads in the state of Florida, and you got Georgia and you got Clemson, you got everybody that you're competing with in Miami, in Florida State, and all these different schools. And the last thing you want to do, the last thing you wanna do is give them free ammo to just say, you know what? Because, how do you deny that? How do you deny that in the recruiting world? Because all they have to do is say, turn on the TV. Like, look what they do to their. Look look what the situation that their top recruit was put in.
1: Right. I mean, well, so, and, and the thing is, like, again, and we live in such like a, a knee jerk reaction type of society, especially with social media, where it's like when something like this happens, everyone wants to give their take or give their two cents and, and you know, assume they know exactly what happened. I don't think Dan Mullen's a bad person. I don't think he has a low character necessarily Nor do I. at all. But when. Florida fans especially started trying to like clap back at, like at us or the media for reporting this and it was like once you report the whole story, he was leaving because he was trying to do the right thing by reporting his roommate and he was like it's a high character kid. he made he made a moral choice like singing his praises for Chris Steele, which is awesome. he did he, I think he made a, a high character decision. And Neil
0: Blackman wrote all about right that. like that's what his column was the basis was. But yeah. if he
1: did if he did make that high character high moral decision, and then said it to Mullen, and Mullen still didn't act on it, that is an even worse look for Mullen. So I'm confused as to what, like, where the defense is from Florida. This is one of those things where it's like it's embarrassing. They're in the wrong, and you have to just, you know, I mean, take your foot out of your mouth and just, you know, wear it. Take the L. Move on.
0: There are a lot of short-term and long-term things with this. <sighs> in short-term... You could look at those recruiting rankings right now for 20, the 2020 classes because I was curious, like, oh, like what's what's Florida sitting at? We're sitting at number eight. Like, yeah, it's not, you know, the sky's not falling. This is the type of thing though that can prevent you from keeping a recruit if you're trying or, or, or even trying to go and sign one. I mean, these are the type of things that come up, especially with how competitive it is right now, especially well, in the division.
1: We brought this up. I brought this up last week. I said. It's not just that you're getting beat on the field by, by just Kirby. We're just talking about Georgia, Florida, because that's been, like, who's been butting heads the entire, entire offseason. And that's who he's intentionally gone after the entire offseason. But when you're also getting beat in recruiting, which he has been notorious for his entire career, he's never been a great recruiter. He's been a great developer of talent, but he's never been a great recruiter. So if you're also getting this ammo out at, like, I would say arguably your weakest trait as a, as a coach not your best move, man. Not your best move. Said it last week. Just be quiet and get to October when you actually play Georgia. This is I because mean, Flor-
0: Florida had all has, has has all this momentum calling up the season that they did, but and I'm not saying that like we're going to talk about Dan Mullen more when we're talking about these these power five coaches, the best power five coaches in the country, because I think Mullen is part of the top ten. Little little teaser there. Yeah. But this goes back to the initial concern that even Florida fans had about Dan Mullen. How does he handle these egos? How does he transition from this job at Mississippi State where nobody's going to be talking about you in the offseason? You're at the place where you've had one winning season in the SEC in the 21st century, and all of a sudden you go into a place like Florida where there are, you got an entire quarterback room of four star guys, and you're dealing with this ego, and you're learning how to handle success at a big time program, and all the attention that comes with that. How do you handle that? As of right now, I would say that Dan Mullen is not handling that as well as he could be. That's a
1: fair thing to say. Well, it's surprising that if, when you think about like the one person, if we're talking about managing your egos, like I, I would assume Felipe Franks would probably be the biggest issue with that, just knowing his overconfidence. Um, I don't know that, but I'm just I would assume. But when you're talking about managing egos, especially with how, like the landscape and and how recruiting is nowadays, with people wanting to transfer out immediately if they're not getting playing time you know, like commit, decommit, all those kind of things and kind of being like more and more prima donnas. This kid did the right thing. He he did the right thing. He showed no ego. And on top of that, he was your highest rated recruit across the board. It's
0: an interesting situation that Florida fans, if their team is winning in 2019 and if they're in position to potentially win a division title or something like that, they're going to look back and say, wow, you guys really blew that out of proportion. But at the same time, We talked about that Jim McIlwain stuff last week for for a variety of reasons, many of which were like, you can take L's in the offseason. There are things that you can do in the offseason that can absolutely hurt you during the season if you don't know how to manage your players and how to manage your team. And I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying that Dan Mullen is going to go down the path that Jim McIlwain did. No, 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 no. Let the record show. Not saying that. But at the same time, you can take L's. Florida has been taking a couple L's lately. We Even Florida fans, yeah. you can admit that. Like, this has not been the off season that you were hoping and dreaming for. And now, okay, you got a couple months. You're going to have your coach speak to everybody at SEC Media Days, and you're going to probably maybe try and announce some more home-and-homes to cover up the fact that, like, you have this ugly situation going on. By the way, conspiracy theory. Th- that's not a coincidence that Scott Strickland comes out and announces, oh, yeah, we're going to be playing Colorado, we're going to be playing oh Texas. The Colorado thing was a dud, but... The timing of that, I you know, just keep that in the back of your mind.
1: I mean, yeah. And, you know, I think like I'm not trying to pile on here, but the good news for Florida fans, I know they're losing a lot of recruits, but luckily those recruits probably aren't rated high enough for Georgia to even steal anyway. So that's that's the good news. Whoa. Yeah. Throwing some shit. Whoa. you just went there. I did. Dang, I'm sorry, you had to Florida. Be nice
0: fans. this whole time, and then you just had to throw that little. They were jab so angry this
1: week. They were so angry, and like it, I, I get it's funny. I don't blame I don't them for being angry. I don't though, blame, because there's but a lot just of don't misdirect things. that anger.
0: That's true. That's yeah. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Let's get into our ranking of Power Five head coaches. Well, we have not all of Power Five head coaches. We ranked our top ten, and because every time we do a consensus ranking Whoa, together, we geez. end up like hating each other and like basically putting our podcast in jeopardy and threatening each other. No, we don't threaten each other. But (laughs) I didn't agree with either of the last
1: two things. So I have (laughs) um, stress relief as my number one overall Power 5 head coach.
0: I'll tell you why stress relief was a little bit underrated. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to get into that. We each did our own top 10 Power 5 coaches. And now we have a lot of similarities here. Our top six, before I say this, we have um, the same exact coaches in our top six, but right. in different orders. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. Why don't you go through yours first, and then we'll kind of we'll break down some of these agreements, disagreements that have been uh, probably talked about a little bit throughout throughout the off season. So just
1: list list them off. Or do you want me to? Yes. Okay. Just just
0: start from start from one, go all the way up to ten. All
1: right. One, I have Saban. Two, How dare Davo? You. Three. So three through five, I feel like honestly three through six could be interchangeable. I have Jimbo. I at three. Um, then I have Chris Peterson at four. I have Kirby at five. Then I have Lincoln Riley at six. David Shaw from Stanford at seven. Gary Patterson at eight. Mark Dantonio. You said it right. Uh, I've been wow, practicing all day look at, you. at nine from Michigan State. And then so ten is tough for me. Because I don't want to have the same exact top ten as you. And I'm gonna say this and I I don't, don't even fully Know if I believe it, but I'm gonna say it because I feel like he, he needs the credit and deserves it. Coach O. That is bull. I and that I based it off of if I was if I was lining up and playing somebody else and this is like this coach versus another coach, if it's him ver- like and basically it was like him versus Harbaugh, him versus Leech, um a couple of other fringe guys, I I took I took Coach O. I'll explain why later.
0: That's interesting. That's interesting because I do think this is how we need to think of this. If you have a good, if you have a, a season, your you're season ahead, you you can pick any coach in America of who you want leading your team. Well, who would you go grab? I don't know about all That's, that. I just, I mean,
1: in no, this yeah. specific, I just, I mean, also like, I don't know. I don't want to like hang my hat on that ranking as like, like what makes up my entire top ten. Like, let's not. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it to you. I'm just saying in general. I don't want people on the internet being like, this idiot head coach show is a top 10 coach in America.
0: But I understand kind of what you're getting at, though, and that the way that he is able to motivate his players and the fact that this guy has, like I said, been extremely good against top 25 teams. I understand the Bama struggles. I get that. But 6-2 and two right. against non-Bama top 25 teams in the last couple of years – yeah, I I could I could get that. I don't have Coach O in my top ten.
1: I well, shouldn't Coach steal o, my my stats that I was going to throw out there. But yeah, I'll get to it later. That's that was my stat. That was my, come on.
0: I've I've been throwing that out all offseason. to six and two against non-Bama teams. I think that's it's right. six It's not.
1: Two? So you have not been throwing that out correctly. What six and three? Uh, six and zero against top ten teams. All I'm sorry. Six and three against top ten teams since 2013. All three losses are, no- are to number one Alabama. All right, fair enough. Top twenty-five. Wait, he's is? eleven and seven. Since 2013, yeah,
0: because he was well, he was interim. That's why yeah. I didn't.
1: Well, and so yeah, to be fair, okay. and again, I'll explain this in a minute because I, I was strictly comparing him to his resume to everybody else that I had on the fringe, which is like Brian Kelly, Mike Leach, um, who else? Is the other one, ja, uh, James Franklin, and Dan Mullen, and oh, James Franklin. No, I did. I know. I figured, I figured you'd hate that, but I didn't. I didn't include any of Coach O's career stats from from Ole Miss. It's a long time ago. People can change. Give us your okay. top ten. That's,
0: that's interesting. That's interesting. So, um, very similar, like I said at the top. My top ten. One, I've got Saban, even though um, Don't. if you read SDS over the weekend. What was you, that? Saw two, you saw two different stories, uh, one of which, the one that I wrote saying, let's chill on putting Dabo ahead of, of, of Saban. And the other, written by our editor, Chris Wright, who was like, hey, I think Sweeney's, Dabo Sweeney's a better coach than Nick Saban right now. He is entitled to his opinion. I just love that it was like, hey, let's chill out out."
1: on the fact that maybe Dabo's not better. And then it was like, let's not chill out. Boom,
0: right there. Let's not chill out. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, I have Dabo at two. I have Jimbo at three, which we agreed on. I initially had him a little bit lower, and I was going to dock him for some of the way that Florida State ended. And you could, when the APR stats came out over the weekend, and everybody's like, oh, man. Jimbo really did not leave Florida State. No, he left it in shambles. He definitely did. He definitely did. But I think kind of doing what he did at AM and in year one, redeemed a little bit of that. So, um, I have Kirby at four. I have Lincoln Riley at five. Chris Peterson at six. And I bumped him down just a touch, and I'll explain that in a minute. I have Leach at seven. Um, I have Brian Kelly at eight, which I didn't feel great about. And then I do have Mullen oh. at nine. And then the one that, Nobody's going to agree with me on but I don't care, because I could explain this till I'm blue in the face. But you but can't, Pat I mean, Fitzgerald,
1: so this is the only I one him. I want to yell at you about, is the Pat Fitzgerald thing, because I feel like what we do with Pat Fitzgerald, and you've had this argument before with our producer, Will, what you do with Pat Fitzgerald is kind of like, not as badly, but it's kind of like what that guy did with the ACC, SEC rankings, where it's like we're giving him a little bit more leniency and more credit because of the situation he's in. Is that Northwestern? Okay.
0: Has Dan Mullen not also been given a little bit of the? And I'm not, not you by didn't me. Put Dan Mullen in your top ten. Not, not right, right, right. Yeah. So, but I think it's 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 a similar argument because I don't think the average person would realize like, oh, in three of the last four years, like Northwestern's actually been like really solid, and Northwestern has been to conference champ, been to a conference championship in the last year, and went to a conference championship last year, had ten wins. I think they've had ten wins in three of the last four they've years. Had too.
1: Ten t- they've had. Ten wins three times in the last uh it's not it's not four years. It's 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 less than it's like seven or something like that.
0: I thought I was pretty sure it was four, but anyway, you can look that up. Um They didn't have ten wins last year. They had nine wins last year.
1: So not ten?
0: Yeah. Not ten. So they would have had yeah, so they've had nine, they've had a season of nine, they've had a season of ten, and then another season of ten, because they had ten wins in twenty fifteen. Yeah.
1: So he's had three ten win seasons uh, since twenty twelve. So that would be exactly seven years.
0: Okay. So that you are you are correct in, in that regard. Three of the last four years though, I broke this down because I think um, I saw like somebody went on Feinbaum a couple months ago. I can't even remember who it was. I think was it Stuart Mandel? Might have been Stuart Mandel, had a ranking of his top twenty-five coaches. And put David Shaw and Gary Patterson ahead of Pat Fitzgerald, which I will, you know, respectfully disagree with. Because in the Gary Patterson thing, like, I think a lot of people throw him in there because they're like, oh, man, like, you know, TCU was, was terrible before him. Like, if you actually, like, break down, okay, he's had he's had the top ten finishes. He's had three top ten finishes since they joined the Big 12. Here's my, my problem with why Gary Patterson was in my best of the rest and not in the top ten. In four of those seven seasons that they've been in the Big Twelve, they've had a losing record in conference play. Yeah, I mean,
1: that's that's not good. Like, you know how many so times has Dan Mullen has had above five hundred uh, above five hundred record in SC, exactly? SC play? And, and
0: that's the ar- that's the argument against him. I think Mullen, you give a little bit more of a break to because of the fact that Mississippi State, given the program history and like we said with Pat Fitzgerald, the the place that he elevated Mississippi State to, in my opinion, was at least a lot more respectable where they were. Uh, at the end of you know last three, four years, where they're a yearly top 25 team, that team was number one in the country at one point late in the season, in November. Yeah. So like
1: uh, that, so that's the only reason, and I'll just be honest, I said this to Will the other day, I think the only reason people think that Dan Mullen is a really good coach, and, and his resume is actually really impressive, and I went back and looked at it because I did not have my top 10, I, I have a lot of reasons why, but what he was able to do at Mississippi State is really impressive. But I think that we consider him like, we took him from being like an above-average coach to like a good or maybe even great coach, um, strictly because of what happened for five weeks in 2014.
0: That's fair. I mean, that's fair. That there is there is a point to be made for getting a program that has just never been at the the forefront, you know, the upper echelon of college football to getting it to that level where right. we're like, okay, can Mississippi State win a national championship? Like, is this, this is a conversation that we're having? And once you get into that. That's that's a, that's a really good thing, obviously, for for a coach to be able to have. And let's also, you know, let's not dismiss the fact that this guy just went took a a, a four win team oh to the seven ranked team in the country. Like that's that's worth. With 20 uh, I know he had a lot of talent coming back. And five I know he had a lot of opponent. talent coming back. I know he had a lot of talent coming back. But that's still part of the equation. I'm not saying it's everything, but it's part of it. So I would I would include Mullen in the back end of my top ten um, for that reason. I understand that. You know, a lot of people would have him even higher. And to that, I would say you need to at least get to a conference championship Agreed. game before you're kind of like that high.
1: Let me explain why you're wrong about Patrick Fitzgerald first and foremost. All right. Okay, so I understand that over the last four seasons, they're 26-9 and nine in the Big Ten. They've been really good over the past four seasons. However, they have finished ranked only four times in the 13 seasons he's been a head coach. He mm-hmm. is 3-20 and all-time. Versus what I call the big three of Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. Right. Um, He is, his overall career, like, winning percentage, I believe, is 96 and 70, which is not bad. Mm -hmm. And I understand he's at Northwestern. He's done a lot of great things for that program. However, you're in arguably the weakest division in all of college football. It's completely, completely um, lopsided in terms of, like, the actual talent and, and ranked teams. In the Big Ten, you do
0: get three crossover games now in the Big Ten. Yeah, and, and you know.
1: I just told you what he did with those crossover games with three. And right, 20. I
0: mean the, against the the headliner crossover yeah. teams. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I totally get but that. when
1: like he, he's also at, at ninety six and seventy, that is like the, the uh, winning percentage. I think is like five seventy eight, which is twenty six spots behind Kevin Mullen. Oh, I'm sorry, Kevin Sumlin. Thirty seven spots behind Kyle Whittingham, who also have coached at least ten plus seasons and over one hundred twenty games. I
0: would agree with that. I would also kind of say that Kyle Whittingham took over Urban Meyer's program and Urban Meyer left it in pretty good shape. Just going to throw that out there. Not saying in that he's Utah. Kyle Whittingham's a bad coach. Not not saying he's a bad coach by any stretch of the imagination. He is probably a top 20 top maybe even top 15 coach in the country. But listen, Northwestern, it can't be overstated how bad they were for the 20th century. Like Horrible, probably the worst power five team in the country. What? I grew up going to these Northwestern games and they were so unbelievably dreadful. Seriously, like go back and look at the numbers when Denny Green was there back in the day. They went to a like, Rose even, Bowl. I don't know. They went to the Rose Bowl in ninety five. Look at like every other season besides that, though. That's why that season was so unbelievable. They were horrible. Horrible.
1: Connor, they had after the Rose Bowl from ninety-six to two thousand five, so ten years. Before Pat's, uh, before Pat Fitzgerald took over, they mm-hmm. had one, two, three, four, five winning seasons.
0: Where they go? Where they get like
1: seven and five? Uh, eight and 4 nine. I'm sorry, eight and four, seven and five, and nine and three.
0: All right, that's fair. That's fair. There's nothing wrong with that. I put Pat Fitzgerald in that category because I think that he has got Northwestern to a place where it is a yearly top 20 team, and that is not a difficult thing to do at that place, at that program, given all the restrictions that you have from an academic standpoint. We don't need to talk about Pat Fitzgerald this entire podcast, though. We can move on to somebody else. Um, The guy that I think is is
1: somewhat controversial in this is Brian Kelly. I thought we were doing Mullen. Oh, I thought we already did Mullen. No, you did Mullen. Let me tell you about Dan Mullen and his career record <laughs> against ranked teams. So we had this conversation uh, a couple weeks ago because I admittedly don't think I gave Dan Mullen enough credit for what he's been able to do as a head coach, especially at Mississippi State. So, I, and, and I think part of that's because of the fact that I never felt like he won any big games. His overall career record versus ranked teams is 10 and 34.
0: That's bad.
1: Yeah. And and I think, what is it, six of those 10 wins came in two total seasons. Uh, against top 10 teams, 6 and 15, and all six of those came in just two separate seasons. That's 2014 and then 2018 at Florida. So I get what he was able to do. It's incredibly impressive what he was able to do at Mississippi State when you think about, like, I think they had 8 of, like, 9 seasons in a row that were losing seasons before um, he took took Mississippi State to a bowl game in 8 of 9 years. They'd only been to 13 in the program history. They had 7 losing seasons in the previous 8 years before him, six of which were were three wins or less um but it, the ranked teams like he never was able to do anything I thought of any kind of like real achievement and never finish above third or fourth in the division and I, I think it was great what he did at Mississippi state but like why why are we giving him such a, a like a pass when he didn't really win anything of significance that's yeah
0: it's a it's a it's a fair point i tend to i yeah. tend to think that in terms of like just your your ability as a coach, I think a lot of that has to do with what you take over, and I think that where where you inherit a program and what you're able to do with it in terms of culture and yearly not, not just have like the one random season, but like be consistently there, I, I think is you know an indictment of of who you are as a coach and what your variance is as a head coach. So I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt more, just because I think getting Mississippi State to that place during the playoff era where we're like, yeah, Mississippi State, top 20 team, like on a, on a yearly basis. Like that's not crazy. Win when, when, when nine games. Like to, to elevate a culture and to elevate a program, it takes so much time in college football. It, it usually does. And when you're not a traditional power, we've seen how difficult it is to get to that level. I'm not saying Mississippi State is on the level of Alabama or Clemson or anywhere near that. Right. But I think that you still have to give him credit. And I still think that he's one of the top Maybe top five best offensive minds in the sport, especially after what he did last year, and that's that's part of this too. And maybe that actually kind of feeds into why I didn't put David Shaw on my list and why I have not given him necessarily a top ten spot yet is oh, because, goodness. okay, hear me out on this. David Shaw is considered a, a, a top is considered a, a top coach by many, and I, I would put him in you know probably top twelve, top thirteen guys. But if you're an offensive mind. How have you only had a top 30 offense twice? He's an offensive mind. He's an offensive mind. I he's an offensive he guy. Like a tight
1: ends coach or, or defense.
0: No. See, that's the thing. Their identity their identity is defense. And their identity is having a guy like Derek Mason, who's been a great defensive coordinator, and I'm blanking on the name of their most recent defensive coordinator, but he's, I think, Pritchard. I think Pritchard? Did that ring a bell? But he's been Herber. there for the last four years. Bear. Um, but he's been there for the last four years as well, and their defense has been the heart and soul of that team. And so, like, to me, yeah, he took over for Jim Harbaugh too, by the way. Which, Harbaugh you know, only had Jim, more than
1: eight wins one one season out of the four he was there, though.
0: Yeah, I know, but I mean, the, the I would also argue, argue that the last season that Harbaugh was there with Luck, and I understand he had a quarterback change after that, but... That program was in a much different place when he left it to David Shaw. I would just say that.
1: I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. I will, like, circling back to, again, while you're wrong about Mullen, he had one season in nine at Mississippi State where he had over 500 winning percentage in conference play. And he only finished ranked three times, Connor. Three times they're not a top twenty team. Moving on to David Shaw. Here's why David Shaw is a really good coach, and I, I completely agree with you. with The fact he is a really good coach. He is a really and good, and I think I'm a lot of his like his stats. I don't want to say they're inflated, but they're a little bit skewed because of the early success he had when he first got there. And it, like I mean, don't get me wrong. Like you're not wrong about saying like he inherited a decent program because of what Harbaugh left it. He was twelve and one his last season. That's Andrew Luck's last year. But Andrew Luck wasn't coming back for for Stanford. You know what I mean? Like they, they're like no, I know, I know they have quarterback. Them team. in Michigan yeah. State have had like the same exact like two leg brace wearing quarterbacks, like old white kids. They're like twenty three <laughs> or twenty four, with some weird red scruff for like a beard. I feel like that's they just it, they're interchangeable at quarterback. Um, he's eighty two and twenty six in eight seasons there, which is sixth among Power Five coaches with a minimum of fifty games coached. Uh, he's never had less than eight wins in a season, five with ten or more. Finished ranked in six of the eight seasons. Also, this is why I'm most impressed, is because his record against ranked teams, he's twenty-five and sixteen all time versus ranked That's teams. Good. Um, including ten wins versus top ten teams in eight seasons. Also, the reason why this is even more impressive is when you talk about like the stuff with, with Pat Fitzgerald and, and Dan Mullen and like the academic yeah, hurdles. It well, was like so it's not just the academic hurdles, it's the fact that Stanford is they know who they are, and so when they're recruiting a player, Stanford offered the least amount of scholarships out of any power 5 school in the country last year they offered 74 total football scholarships to fill a class of 25 the average power 5 school <laughs> was 232
0: no that's don't get me wrong like what he has built there is impressive i think i think the knock on him though is the fact that like one he didn't take over a program that needed to be completely rebuilt and two he did not take over a program and all of a sudden elevate it from what his expertise is supposed to be that's that that that's my problem. Whereas Mullen, like Mullen, is still one of these great offensive minds, and like you you know he goes to a place like Florida and how big of a disaster that offense was, and he totally elevates it and changes around the culture and fits it to the skill set and works with Felipe Franks and guys like that. So like that's that's the difference for me in like what I evaluate as a good coach or you know a top ten coach is a guy who can take something and and totally elevate it and turn it around. David Shaw is very good. Don't get me wrong, but I just I would tend to probably favor Mullen in a situation like that more than him.
1: I just I blows my mind. We've watched one of those coaches actually win something of significance. No, it's it's
0: it's fair. That's that's perfectly fair. That's that's part of this. How about this this question because I went a little bit back and forth on this. The Lincoln Riley against Kirby thing. That's Now, you could just you could just look because we have them ranked right next to each other, right? Yeah, you have them uh I have Kirby Yeah, you five have Kirby and f- Lincoln 6. Right, right. So that's super interesting because obviously they faced each other in the Rose Bowl, and Kirby got the advantage. You know, win, win that game, and I think if he obviously if he doesn't win that game, he's not being ranked ahead of Lincoln Riley. But he did win that game, and it was you know gets to gets to ultimately play for a national championship, and that's the thing that Lincoln Riley hasn't done yet. Yeah, would probably argue though that the two Heisman Trophy things in his first two years should put him at number three on this list. Automatically, see, I think that shouldn't be. I mean,
1: it's impressive to add to your resume, and it's awesome to like from a recruiting standpoint. But especially if like all the arguments we're using, uh, you know, for and against these other coaches, where it's like think of all the obstacles and hurdles they have to overcome with their like that are from their own program. I mean, you want to talk about walking into a, I mean, just an absolute like dream. You get Baker Mayfield, and you get Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is one of – he will go down, in my opinion, as one of the most incredible athletes, I think, in in all of professional sports history because of the fact that – like Bo Jackson was an incredible athlete and played both sports. However, no one has ever been drafted in the top ten in the Major League mm-hmm. Baseball draft and the, uh, the NFL draft. It's crazy to have two number one picks, two Heisman Trophy winners. The reason why I'm not as impressed with that is because his offense is fantastic. He obviously puts him in great situations. But he didn't beat Kirby. He didn't really look close to beating Bama. Um, they are twenty-four and four in his two seasons, which is incredible. Um, however, it's also zero and two against the SEC, and I think he's a six and three versus ranked teams. I mean, not, that's not even a bad a bad record. I just I would put him behind Kirby because of the fact that like I think what Kirby, Kirby's had to build more I think at Georgia, and also there's no way Lincoln Riley can keep up this pace. Well, when Jalen Hurts wins the Heisman. If Jalen, Jalen Hurts wins that. the Heisman, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> Lincoln Riley would be the best coach in the history of the world if that happens. But, I mean, like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like a lot of times, it's like Dak Prescott became a great quarterback because Mullen was able to develop him into a great player. Really? Sometimes you have coaches that are able to lean on this, you know, like the strengths and the skills and like the talent of their players.
0: That's all. That's all true. I, I I have no no disagreement with that. I think we're pretty much in, in agreement where where Lincoln Riley should be. Like that that five six range, and you can kind yeah, of go back and forth six, with Chris man. Peterson. Three through six, yeah. Three through six is very interchangeable. You can make pretty much any argument to fit your case with that. And you know, I was like I said initially a little bit had had put Jimbo a little bit lower, but then kind of thought about man, you know, let's not forget about how good they were with with Jimbo yeah. and that year. That was just one of the I mean, that was, it really ridiculous. was one of the best seasons in college football history just in terms of how much they dominated. Um, so, like, I, I don't think that can be overstated in how few coaches there are um, currently active with rings. Shout out Mac Brown, who is apparently the number 22 coach combined with ACC and SEC, whatever that was. Um, but anyways, I think this was a better ranking than anything no that we saw last week. Would you Hold on. Yeah, so yeah.
1: for 10 real quick, this is the last thing we'll say the re- and the reason why I couldn't bring in Brian Kelly you know I didn't realize this Brian Kelly has 252 total wins
0: is that it just 252 that's incredible oh yeah I thought you were like getting to a point with that I point. No, like, oh, this many, you guys raised? No, I first didn't realize he was saying? that old
1: he's been a head coach for 29 seasons but 252 career wins, that's the most among active um, Power 5 coaches. Like, that's that's crazy. I, I I flirted with the James Franklin thing and quickly uh, stopped immediately because of his – what he had to do I Penn would have on
0: you so I hard. I mean, to,
1: but to be fair, again, with the argument that we have made for these other coaches, like, what he – I mean, Penn State is a national blue blood, in my opinion, and a, a pretty great opportunity. But at the same time, they're in a very difficult division. And he got, he got to Penn State on the heels of one of the worst, you know – house cleanings for any any football or athletic department since the SMU incident, like the 80s. Um, I'm going to tell you why I have Orgeron at 10, because I, I really wanted to put Mike Leach in there, but I put Orgeron in, and here's why. Wait, are you going to do it in Coach O Voice or not? I is. I'm him. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to. You don't have no, so, to. No, so I realized how bad and just like, just horrifically bad of a coach he was at, at Ole Miss. And I understand that two of the four seasons he's had as a head coach have been as an interim coach. I don't think that that we give him enough credit for like the difficulty of of being an interim coach, especially at programs like LSU and USC. And you know, in those two seasons, he went 12 and four. When when you like, he hasn't been able to beat Bama. He hasn't been able to get over that hump. However, um, and I think he has a losing record against against Mullen, to be honest. But he is. But
0: he did whip the dog crap
1: out the of. Georgia. Dog crap. He's thirty-one and eleven as a head coach since twenty thirteen, which is a seven thirty-eight winning percentage. He's finished ranked all four years. They've been doing New Year's Day bowl. I think th- the last three years in a row, at LSU and three of the four, he's been a head coach. He's twenty-five and nine at LSU with a fifteen and seven conference record and fifteen and four versus teams not named Alabama since twenty thirteen. He's six and three versus top ten teams. All three losses were to number one ranked Alabama. In the four years he's been a head coach, he has beaten David Shaw, who was a a top five team, um, on the road, by the way. Lamar Jackson, who won the Heisman Trophy. Kirby Smart, who I think is where we both think is a top five coach. Auburn twice. And snapped UCF's two-year unbeaten streak. Uh, We don't give him enough credit because he's just a cartoon of a person with the way he talks. He's done an incredibly good job. I don't know if he's a top 10 coach necessarily, but I just, he needs some love. <laughs> I love that you made the argument
0: though. I love You know, know what I mean? Like, I he just,
1: I don't think we give him enough, enough I agree. credit.
0: Doesn't get enough credit, doesn't give enough, get enough money, doesn't get enough Red Bull on a Saturday morning. Yeah, Cocho needs more of everything. everything. Hey, we need more Cocho. Um, we are not getting a whole lot of Cocho in the offseason, but we are getting some peak offseason content. And this is something that we're going to try and do every single week. Oh, God. Some peak offseason content. One that we see out in the media that we're just like, oh, my gosh, it's peak offseason. Everybody knows it. And also, we are going to provide some of our own peak offseason content. So,
1: I first, want to make it known right now that peak offseason was not the words that came out of my mouth when I read this damn article. What were the words that came out of your mouth? They were real bad.
0: Real bad. All right. In case you did not see, AL.com had a column on the regionalization ruining college football said
1: that I in know, a broken system was, regional right? dominance by southeast was ruining college football by joseph go. goodman
0: there you go what? all right so joseph goodman said that it's a broken system one because texas and california have not had a team in the playoff during the 5 years of its existence because UCF has not made the field, um, despite the fact that it was undefeated in the regular season last year. Okay. Did you Yo, know that?
1: Please don't gloss over how <laughs> egregious of a statement that is. I Let me <laughs> dramatically read how... Because I was bent out of shape over this, and Allie mm. had to walk away from me because she was like, oh, Okay, here we go. Yeah, that's Because well, right this right. person writes for ale.com and it's obviously like it it's like almost like a Jerry Springer type thing like this he seems like the kind of person like you write for an SEC audience in a thriving SEC me- like you know um what do you call it city so this is like if you go to a Cubs Cardinals game and some a-hole comes up with better seats than you but he's wearing all Yankee stuff it's like no nah, I just want to be different I want to be obnoxious I just want to I mean you know just basically ruined your time. Texas, California, and Florida are the three recruiting hotbeds of the country for college football players and represent the largest population centers of football-loving fans. What? Where'd you find that metric? Crazy. Football-loving fans. and Okay. Yet those three states have only produced one participant in the college football playoff. In the first year of the new system, Florida State played Oregon in the Rose Bowl. Psst. Um...
0: College football recruiting is more national than ever, and everybody can get to the state of Texas and California and Florida, and they can fly there, and they spend a lot of time there, and they definitely know that those programs or those states are really talent-rich. But those are it's also a good f- idea to get the down population the centers th- of th- football-loving
1: th- th- fans in California. That's why they don't oh, want to stay right, home. Right. Uh, he goes on to say, and this is where I, I really lost my mind, meanwhile teams in the Midwest, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Notre Dame have combined to score three points in the college football playoff in the last four years. This just oh, did. I not like that point. Um, One <laughs> field goal by Notre Dame against Clemson, blah, blah, blah. Teams from Pennsylvania and the Virginias. Hot three beds. other epicenters for college football have yet to make the playoffs. What are we talking about here? First off, I'm not saying that people don't care about high school football or football in general in Virginia or West Virginia or Pennsylvania. They do. They've got good Especially, talent, but it's not like, yeah, yeah it's not a great Remember the Titans was, was from Virginia? What oh, else? Point. If you ever say that West Virginia is an epicenter – for college football, if you ever say West Virginia is an epicenter for anything besides meth or, like, Mountain Dew stained teeth, like, I, I just, I'm sorry, or coal mining, I don't know. Um, that's a, it's a, like, what I don't understand is what the point of this whole thing was, this whole article, but basically, it's not fair to the other teams from states that have a lot of good football players that, that don't have good football teams
0: yeah, which is weird because he argues that oh these these states have all these great you know it's these are talent rich states and they should be getting to go to the playoff but it, and then he's like oh but there's all the where all the recruits are is where all the teams are going to the playoff it's like wait what what's the point that you're trying to make so he never says how the sport is broken never says like oh the attendance is just tanking right now or oh, right PCB right TV rights deals are going down the tube just as that it's ruining it in general just basically pointing out like oh you know what. Clemson and Bama have accounted for half the playoff berths, and this probably means something. So, like, is there calm column here? Is that, is that what we're doing? I'm glad that and you— I mean, that does great That's work a very and not, not reasonable, that. and
1: logical and measured response. That's, that, that is, like, that's the actual point that we should have made Gosh. instead of me just yelling incessantly. <laughs> I mean, so the last thing he brought up was he said, Alabama's starting quarterback, Tua Tungabailoa, is from Hawaii and grew up a fan of Ever teams of in the Pac-12. Alabama's starting running back, Najee Harris, is from California. Alabama star receiver Jerry Judy is from South Florida. They came to Alabama to win national championships with Nick Saban and then go on to the NFL. And good for them, but it's not good for the sport, though. So this just in, guys. If there's anything we've learned from the offseason, one, you stay in your assigned rooms. You're not allowed Mm -hmm. to go anywhere. Two, uh, Coach is a top-ten coach. And three, Mm -hmm. whatever state you were born in, you will stay there until the end of your life and your last, last dying breath. It's like Hunger Games. Your state, but with, with football. Your state
0: is your your state is your family. All yeah. right, you know you need to own that. I think Tua needs to show a little more appreciation for his Hawaiian culture. You know, I think I think he really doesn't get back and give give enough. You know, love to his roots. I think that's the real problem. This is,
1: I don't. I don't wish, so this, it was dumb, ridiculous, so man. It was an. Un- so you know what? That being said, guys, why don't you send us in your worst take, <laughs> your absolute worst take. We'll read it on air. Uh, best ones will will win a prize. But yeah. Just that was that was tough.
0: Yeah, that was rough. Pickoff season content. Yeah, our pickoff season content. Oh, yeah, I think every, I think everybody's gonna enjoy this actually. Um, so the NCAA softball tournament starting up. Casey, haven't heard all thirteen? Yes, thirteen SEC teams are in. Um, sick brag, SEC softball. Boom. How do you like me now? Shout out Holly Rowe. She's probably gonna be everywhere doing all the reporting because that's what Holly Rowe does. She's everywhere. It's the third straight um, year
1: they've done it, Connor. Third straight year. It's pretty impressive. It's really impressive. impressive. Yeah. It's, you gotta ask. Is there
0: bias towards the SEC in college Oh my God, softball? they brought that up this morning. My column. Um, so we came up with SEC Beer Softball League teams. Now, we had one former coach one former player, and eight current coaches. We came up with a starting lineup with a batting order and what position they are playing. This is our peak offseason content. I'm not,
1: yeah, don't say it like that, especially on the heels of that, that idiot from, from AL.com. I mean, guys, you want rankings? You want stuff to help get you through the offseason? How about fantasy sports that we're making up purely hypotheticals of a beer league softball team just strictly made up of SEC coaches and, and from... Wait a what? minute.
0: Well, did you copy my top four... No, We well, I mean, no. the same exact first four No, and run.
1: I also want to say this. This was supposed to be a very fun, like, kind of, you know, not very serious exercise that we oh, were going to do. And I thought it'd be very fun for the listeners because, you know what I mean? You know, we got to get through this time together. We can't just keep talking about Game of Thrones online. Regardless, I put a very standard lineup, one through nine, threw in a DH. Connor immediately corrected me and said, nah, 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 we nah. need to nah. make sure we have no a, a, a left. We have a DH. We need to have a left center field and a right center field.
0: Yes, because this is softball, and if we're playing beer league softball, as you know, I got a game tonight. Um, hopefully, that goes really well. We've been pretty much run ruled in every game. It's been pretty ugly. Um, Co-ed church league softball is apparently like a little Troy bit more league competitive. Softball. I didn't
1: know beer league softball.
0: Yeah, um, but yes, you need that because you can locate you can locate where you're going to hit so well. You can't just play with three outfielders. It's really different. What is your batting average now? Probably close to 600. Are you keeping up with your batting average, Connor? I mean, like I kept a loose tally the like, first three games, but then I kind of lost lost track. Were really. you hitting my in the order? In, my last at wasn't. My last um, I hit third last game, but I'm not a power hitter. I'm not a power hitter. I did hit inside the park homer last game, though. Sick brag to me. Nice. Um, two people collided in right field on a shot in the gap, and it worked out really well for me. <laughs> anyway, as you would say, regardless. Regardless. Why don't you start us off with your lineup
1: here? No, I want you to do this, Connor. All right, let's do it. So, at leadoff,
0: the one the only Derek Mason, who is my second baseman, hitting number Eight two. Eight current coaches, I've got,
1: hold on real quick. Eight current coaches, yes. one former coach, and one former player. That's the ten man roster.
0: Correct. Will Muschamp is my two hitter. I have Muschamp playing shortstop. Number three, this is painfully obvious, and I'm glad both of us included this. Uh, Mr. Uh, Timothy Tebow friend of the podcast. You might've heard of him. He is obviously playing left center field because that is where the most action is. I did not is. want to
1: put him in there. That, that's I, I copied that one from you. That was good. Yeah. Thank you. Um,
0: Barry Odom is my cleanup hitter just because he looks like he could murder a softball. Uh, I've got Barry Odom playing right field just because he yeah, had knees might be a little bit creaky. Um, Matt Luke is my number five hitter. He looks like he could really put his weight behind one. I think what? he'd be a great beer league softball player. He, He's my pitcher. I feel like
1: he looks like he would constantly be picking the ball up off the ground with his glove.
0: No, 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 no. Former offensive lineman. Those offensive linemen can play some beer That's league fair. softball. Yeah. Uh, number six, the one, the only, Coach O. Uh, Coach O is, I'm, I'm putting behind the plate at catcher because I'm, I'm not saying that he can't run because I would not want to see Coach O with a head of steam. But I think that he's more suited for the catcher. And if you had a play at the plate, you're rounding third and you gotta see Coach O, you gotta you gotta make make a decision there. Coach O's tagging you out yeah, every time you're, you're just gonna run to if the you're guy.
1: running like spikes up and at, at the plate in softball, that's a problem. It's kind of a hard O move. Yeah. Big time hard o move. Do you wear uh, pants? Do you wear pants when you play? No, I, I can't don't. Move. I don't All right, wear, just making sure. I do wear cleats though. You gotta wear cleats. I would have I would have hung up on you right now and let you finish the podcast yourself. Nah, no, no, no. I'm not I'm not that into it. I used to
0: wear a cup back in the day just, just in case, but then I stopped wearing a cup. Um number seven, Jeremy Pruitt. I've got Jeremy Pruitt in right center field, forward defensive back. I think he can track down balls a little bit in the outfield. Number eight, uh, put your money in this bank, aka Mark Stoops. I've got Stoops playing third base. And number nine. Yes. I went heavy. I went heavy on this one. This is my former coach spot. I've got Burt. Good old Brett Bielema in that number nine hole. I've got Burt playing first base. Don't have to move a lot. I initially had my guy Joe Moorhead there, but I moved him off because I was like, all right, got to make some room. I've thrown to a big target like Joe Moorhead would be great, but whatever. Joe Moorhead's going to coach this team to victory. No doubt about it. And in my number 10 spot, I have my second leadoff hitter, Kirby Smart, who I have playing in left field
1: guarding the line for me so that is my lineup what's your so opinion? again beer league softball i i, I, I should have enough. known you were going to take this too seriously because because oh, i, cause I wasn't trying to write out a lineup to win games i'm trying to think of if i'm going to play beer league softball the last thing i'm going to do is take it seriously um i will say last year i played softball at piedmont park there's no fences so it's a nightmare if anybody actually is strong um And some kid tried to go from first to third on me, and I I screamed, that's a mistake, as I threw him out. But then I sailed the ball roughly 10 (laughs) yards, to the, not even over his head, to the right. It was terrible. It was terrible. And I had to pretend like it slipped out of my hand. Anyway, so my goal is just to have fun uh, if it's beer league softball. So I have at pitcher, my former former coach, it was bad. I can't get over that.
0: that would have been so not tough. I 10. told you about the oh get out of gosh. here ball
1: story when I was in college. Hit the top <laughs> of the fence. That was pretty bad. So anyway, um, I have four uh, my pitcher, Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier, man. I'll state all state baseball player from Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, when he was in high school. He like it was originally Saban, but I feel like one of those like you had to have an old timer. You gotta have an old timer or somebody that wears like a lot of ace bandages on their knees to be your pitcher.
0: Cause they can put the English on the ball. Yeah. They know they know things and angles that you don't. Yeah. They've had they've had too much experience.
1: They, the and playoffs. they're usually like they're like fun, but also like like there's a part of them that you don't want to be around. Like they like usually have like a mustache or really like like they'll they'll have like two monster energy drinks before the game. Um right. so I've got Steve Spurrier at pitcher because he's awesome. At catcher, the old man, Nick Saban. You can't not have Saban on your your softball team.
0: Almost had him at second base, and then I switched him out. thought, you know what? Just in case. I I don't know if Saban. Saban's a little bit leisurely in terms of how he moves. He He kind of gets up and down. Yeah, he just got the new hip, coming off some surgery. I I don't know. I'm going to wait and see how Saban's rehab goes first.
1: Um, First base, Mark Stoops. Put your money in this bank. Money in this bank. Second base, I cannot believe. If you have a beer league softball team, like why did you not have Jimbo Fisher on your team? Probably you sure imagine I have Jimbo Probably and sure Steve Spurrier it. and Nick Saban all in the same infield. Um, at shortstop, I have Barry Odom. See, here's the thing, Connor. The the one part of this game that I did take seriously is it. Like, if you're playing softball, if you play third base, you're a, you're you're a special person. You're either trying way too hard, um, or really don't care about uh, your, your face. face, or potentially yeah. having kids one day. There's I can't tell you how many things I would rather do than, than play third base in a rec league softball game. It's not like they ever like, take care of the, that diamond. It's just rocks.
0: Oh, yeah. Hit, hit a yeah. rock up, up into the face. Yeah, it, it's and, bad. The angles there are, are not right. and
1: every single person, that, like, for, for the most part, is trying to like, pull the ball as hard as they can. So you got to have somebody big and angry on that side. They don't have to be good with a the glove. They have to basically just knock everything down um, and not care about their teeth. So I have Ed Orgeron at third base. Yeah, that's good. And choice. then I have that's Barry Odom choice. at shortstop. There's not a single ball getting through that infield.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, okay.
1: Oh, I didn't do this like based off of like the the lineup. Damn it. That's okay. You can do the lineup okay. after. Left field, Kirby Smart, defensive back, as you said. Same. Left center there. field, uh, thanks to you, Tim Tebow. I wanted to put Todd Helton, but I didn't. Um, right Ooh, center field, God, really good. W- one. He would just be obnoxious though. He'd be like hitting very, very hard hit, like long singles, because he's old. No, he hit for some pop back in the steroid That's era. True. He hit for some pop. Um, Will Muschamp, right center field, and in right field, Derek Mason. I tell you, what I almost put as my my former coach was Joker Phillips because he was an incredible athlete from Kentucky. That would have been good. Uh, and also yep. Kevin Sumlin. So here's my lineup. I got Derek Mason leading off. I got Will Muschamp in the two hole. Tebow's third, of course. Barry Odom four. Same f- top four, by the way. Just saying. Okay. Um, no that's hold on that's i'm reading yours that's why uh hold on sorry
0: no no no. we have the same okay four. We have the same four. so
1: five i have orgeron uh six i have mark stoops seven kirby smart and then the bottom of the order is not good uh jimbo fisher steve Spurrier, and nick saban Whew. yeah see that you're making too many outs there those are rally killers at the end of yeah LA. but then afterwards we get to go drink and have fun and go to like a taco mac or whatever or a chili's and have some dollaritas and tell stories
0: Why can't I just invite Saban and Joe Moorhead and Jimbo Fisher to my, and Dan Mullen, you know, he'd be there. Dan Mullen would be on first base, like, you know, sitting there talking about analytics or something like that and wearing his pleated khakis and being like, hey, you should actually let the first pitch go because chances are. like Dan Mullen? He's a skier. He'd be coaching first base. That's not bad, yeah.
1: I I mean, that whole sentence is probably why Saban would not want to be, like, come hang out with your softball team, though, let's be honest. Yeah, no, that's probably true. That was fun, though. That was good off-season,
0: peak off-season content for Tell us it. where
1: we're wrong. Um, oh, man. I just, I really, now I want to caprice on some orange slices. Moving on. Speaking of wrong, you've been wrong a lot today, but you've handled it well. I just, I'm just saying, statistically. Right. Um, no, I'm kidding. So, fourth and wrong this week. We had some good submissions. Probably because that was, like, angry and, like, semi-threatening our audience if they didn't have some good ones this week. So each and every week, we have four separate submissions of questions or advice that our audience wants answered, non-football related, of course. So your first question from Michael Luker on Twitter, what is your worst high school memory?
0: Oh, this is tough. Um, I'm going to say like senior year turnabout where my high school girlfriend, everybody knows. You know, unless you married your high school sweetheart, congratulations to you. You're part of like the 3% of the humans in this world. Um, my high school girlfriend threw a temper tantrum at like our, we call it turnabout dance where the girls ask the guys. Like Sadie um, Hawkins. That's, that's in the spring. Yeah, yeah, same thing. But we're Yankees, so we don't call it that. Um, but yeah, she like threw a, a temper tantrum and basically like stormed out and threw a fit for like no reason whatsoever and was mad the entire night, like, ruined our entire group's night, just basically for no reason whatsoever. So, yeah, that wasn't fun.
1: Oh, wow. Um, most of my bad memories are, like, actual bad memories, so I'm not going to share those. What I'm going to share with you is it's from my freshman year of college, but it also was it kind of, like, spilled over from high school. So I, I have hyperhidrosis, so I sweat all the time, no matter what uh, season or temperature is outside. So when I was a senior and a junior, Um, I was in, like, an aide, like, in the uh, admissions office, or whatever, like, that office is, like, when you're, if you're late, Um, so I had to, like, walk around and give notes to people in class, and blah, blah, blah. Every single day for two straight years, Connor, in fourth period, I had to go to the far side of campus, to the old gym, and take off my shirt and my undershirt, and put it under the blow dryers, because it's the only bathrooms that had them, and dry off my shirts, because of the ridiculous amount of sweat pouring out of my body because you're like it's not gross it's just i mean it didn't smell it's just like kind of rude anyway what's gross is what happened the year after that in when i was in college because we had practiced one day again sweat a lot we had been we had like been out for like two and a half hours and we had a barbecue with the the entire athletic department every single team every single athlete so i had like just gotten in shape was feeling myself And the soccer team was going to be there, softball team, basketball team, all those things were going to be there. Um, And our coach got mad about our lack of hustle and made us – didn't let us go home and change for the barbecue. Like, everyone else is, like, in somewhat, like, you know, polos or collared shirts. We had to go in our workout gear. And we get there before anyone else because, like, it's – like, the pavilion we were at was at the baseball field. And I hear some of my teammates start laughing. They're like, Marler, what is on your back? And I'm not exaggerating this, and I'm sorry for it being inappropriate. I had sweated an like a absolutely perfect outline of the male reproductive organ on my back. Full. Wow. On my back, panicked, ran to the bathroom, then threw my entire shirt off, put it under the sink, and made it soaking wet, Like cause I thought that would be better. And it was already too late. Everyone had seen it, and then uh, people made fun of me, called me a lot of names. So this was college? Yeah. That's awful.
0: That's right. tough. That's pretty rough. I,
1: I, I don't have anything
0: else to say to that other than, yeah, I mean, the sweating thing, that's out of your control. But it seems like the situation could have been handled a little Oh without
1: better. a doubt. It just could like, have been handled a lot better. I'll say that. Um, if that ever happens again, now I know what to do. Second question What do I do with the time between graduation and starting work? Sent from Dustin Smith ninety five on Instagram. Oh my gosh, that means he was born in ninety five.
0: Yeah, that happens. That's not that's that crazy. bad. A lot of our listeners were born in, in the '90s, like myself. Um, if you're, if you have like two weeks, enjoy it, hang out with friends, see people that you wouldn't, you know, maybe you wouldn't normally see. Um, make sure that your days aren't totally unproductive. I feel like you should make make it make it a point to do like at least one productive thing a day, whether that's like working out or making sure like, oh, I've got work clothes and stuff yeah. like that, because. Yes, you need to enjoy that time because your whole life is going to change very soon and you're going to realize, oh, I have to go to work and there's no like summer vacation for that unless you're a teacher. But I would just make sure that you do one productive thing a day while making sure that you enjoy your time, depending on how long it is. Because if you fall off the face of the earth during that time, those first couple weeks at work are a struggle bus.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, one, congratulations on graduating to go back right and now. And have a job. That's yeah, good. What the, I mean, it's just, it seems like he's just bragging at this point. Um, yeah. Go back to college immediately. Just quit this job. I don't care what it is. Uh, yeah, but if you say you have like two weeks, what I would do personally is stay uh, at your campus, uh, wherever you are at, for at least a week, and um, live it up, man, because like, you're not going to ever be able to go back to those days. And when I say live it up, I mean go out and drink. But... Also, soak in some memories like with your friends and, and, you know, if they haven't left yet because I know everyone's graduating. You lose touch with those people. The only thing I would say from a productive standpoint, yeah, you're right. Make sure you get um, clothes and you don't look like an idiot when you first go your first day of work. But also, make sure you start trying to get used to getting up early.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point because once you have to do that every day for work, I mean, it takes a, it takes a while yeah. to get to that point where you're like, oh man, like seven o'clock every single day. This is six o'clock, whatever, whatever right. it is. It's brutal. I feel like you were just doing the the Billy Madison where he's
1: like, stay here for, as long without as a you dude. Can. Why would you leave college if you had the choice to? I, I mean, I, I was there for way too long. All right, your third question from Will De Thrill on Instagram: Who is your favorite rapper? Connor, if you say Jason Derulo, he's he's a rapper, right? Oh, he boy. counts. No. Um, Believe it or not, I was a
0: child of 90s hip hop. And I, like I said, I've said on this podcast before, my first CD that I ever owned, that I should not have owned, but I owned, was Dr. Dre 2001. So my
1: favorite rapper of all time is the DRE. That's pretty good. I stole uh, the the 3 Six Mafia to put on some scissor CD from a media play. That was one of the worst things I've ever done. I would say this. Tell us. What?
0: I was gonna say, tell us about the ATL and how rap is is so much. I mean, it definitely dirty. is. Um, we don't say the dirty though. My bad. So, so
1: I I would say this is tough. I, I mean, I, I love Meek Mill. I love um, I love Future a lot, especially because he's from Atlanta. Um, but I think shout out Sierra. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I would say probably of all time is Childish Gambino. His last couple albums haven't been my favorite. But he's from some Mountain. He's got incredible lyrics. He's just so smart. So, uh, that's... Childish Campino is probably probably my favorite. I'm going to regret saying that later, I'm sure. Um, and last but not least, your fourth question from Andy Goins. Once again, what is the worst non-sports injury you've ever had?
0: So, I realized this is non-sports injury, but this this not happened while I was playing a sport. I was a sports camp counselor back in the day, like 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. And we started doing this thing amongst the counselors where we would... Give each other dead legs, which oh, sounds bad, and it is. So the way that we did it was you take your knee and you knee somebody in the thigh. And if you've ever experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. Your thigh basically will fall asleep after this. Or Like, you know, you get it like right in the quad. You take a knee to the quad, and it hurts. It's, it's not like a smash, but it's just enough. It's a little bit of a bump to just be like, wow, this sucks right now. So one of our counselors one day, at, as kids were leaving camp that day, um, was was coming up to my right to dead like me. And somebody behind me let me know, like, oh, watch out. And so as I, as I turned to my right to see the counselor who's coming up to dead like me, I turned my knee, and his knee hits my knee, and he dislocates my knee badly. Oh, that's the worst. Badly. I, I fall to the ground. There are kids still there. There are kids that are like, Mom, is he okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And I'm, like, doing whatever I can. This is back in the day, pre-Connor, no more cursing. To not curse—that is that is my goal in that moment. So While brief. if you've ever, ex- yeah, if you've ever experienced a knee dislocation, which I have now three times, um, not fun. So yeah, I would say that's my worst non-sports injury. The two other times I dislocated my knee were both sports related, so it doesn't count.
1: Um, I mean, I broke both my hands from being drunk and punching a wall like an absolute idiot. That's got to be the wait, wait, both, both? like how separate, how far apart, I mean, apart were like they? Several months. It was the worst. I guess that's probably that's oh, it's man. hands down the worst. One time, my mom got super glue in my eye. That was tough um it's gotta be the hands Mm -hmm. thing because it was like so dumb and stupid and like i broke my right hand didn't go to the hospital because i was like i'm sure it's fine for like a week and then like once the swelling went down it was like the bone was actually broken in half like like the outside bone of my my hand was was literally split in half on top of each other um and then like i don't know six months later and i told my mom that i had like fallen playing like ultimate frisbee or something stupid Oh yeah, and your mom no, didn't without a doubt. Soon so like six months later, same stupid dumb thing. Me just being like a, a douchebag, I guess, in college. Like, I I literally reared back with my right hand, and I was like, "No, that's stupid." Um, then I hit like the like a, a giant wooden door, like it's like big oak wooden door with my left hand, and broke it immediately as well. It was it was the, the dumbest thing I have ever done in my life.
0: Except saying that cigarettes
1: are your favorite. Yeah, song, I mean, so. there's a long list, but that definitely tops it. And then, of course, like probably like six months later, my mom was like, "I was like home for Christmas," and she's like, "Hey, so me and Russell, my stepdad, have a question. Um, how long are you gonna continue pretending that you broke your hand from falling in Ultimate Frisbee? We know you got drunk and punched a wall." I was like, "All right, cool, thanks, guys."
0: The fact that you would ever try and keep something from Patty Sue is just—it's inexplicable. That. You got to at this point, you got to just assume. The I'm an open
1: book, it. more so now. But at the time, that was that was pretty embarrassing. Um, all right, yeah. so up next, before we close out the show, we've got mean tweets with Marlar. and so we started this last week where we go over the rudest things that I've read on the internet this week, um, and they're both Florida related. So we've got from Hertz Investigator in response to a tweet that we wrote said, "On a scale of one to fourteen thousand, how much does Dan Mullen regret saying this?" He said, oh. I don't think sociopaths with no self-awareness are capable of such feelings. Whoa. Wow. Um, Damn Owen's
0: soci- sociopath? I, I don't I doubt know. Like, That's, that seems a little much.
1: Um, and then last but not least, this was on Instagram, when we posted the same exact quote. Uh, it was the same exact day. And it was literally a day after we had posted the Bike Bianchi quote about how George is the most overrated program in the country. And... What is his name? Jeremy Florida Lee on Instagram said, "I don't think." Oh, I'm sorry. Nice try with you justification there. Except you, by far, bash on the Gators more than any other team, religiously. Should think about changing your name to licking UGA's bowl, or giving me a few. Give me a few. I can come up with better. I don't. So I, just ball. one. Just, just one of them, which I thought was right. unique and specific. Yeah. Um And I, I told him. I responded. I said. Absolutely, man. Take your time. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. He never responded, so
0: it's an interesting name though. Leaking UGA's. Ball.
1: I don't think it would I, have the same ring
0: they,
1: as Saturn. It doesn't
0: market very no. well. Like I don't know. I think from SEO standpoint, I it's don't a lot. It yeah, I haven't that searched well. that in a long time. Yeah. It's kind of a mouthful there. Um, nice, but yeah, those are good. Keep keep sending us more things. To you got hate in your heart. YouTube. Let it out, y'all. Ooh, you said that. You said that a lot, but I love it every time you do because. I go back to a place where one at once upon a time, I'd like to think that you would have been part of this too, right? With what? With the the mean tweet comments. Like if we go back, Connor, really like dug literally in history. the same
1: window of me having this job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have any idea how long it took for me to delete all my tweets oh, when I first got hired? Is oh man, it's a rough. It was the worst, worst. <laughs> all right, let's
0: close out with "It Might Mean Too Much." By now, you might have seen this. Um, I realize this has just been such an SEC East-dominated podcast, but um, offensive lineman recruit Tate uh, Ratlidge, not Rutledge, shout out Laura Rutledge, who has been on this podcast before, Once Upon a Blue Moon, uh, way back in the day. Um, Tate Ratlidge committed to Georgia over Tennessee. He's a top 40 recruit in the 2020 class. So his dad takes off a Tennessee decal on his truck, He's a lifelong Tennessee fan, but he's like, no, I'm going to support my son. He's, gets, got George, he's got the Georgia plate now. He's putting on the front of his truck. So that's not the the. it might mean too much because that's actually like, oh, you're willing to like change fan bases for your son? That's like actually pretty, you know. He got in the car and never the, the came damn, back. Like, way, to, way to go. Um, so um, the initial tweet from Cody Chaffins, Chaffins? I, I don't know how to say his name. It got over 2,200 likes and counting. And the fact that this is actually a story of like father of recruit takes off decal on car is one, peak off season content, and two, peak SEC Twitter because the replies to this were absolutely hilarious. The first person that I saw that had like a really good reply was, look at, look at how easy that sticker gave up because there was <laughs> video of him pulling the sticker off, which was so funny to watch. And then the comment to that in response was, it gave up almost as easy as your all's defense on that Hail Mary. Wow. Oh, man. Um, so we're still going back to 2016 to talk about the Georgia-Tennessee. People
1: don't forget. Apparently.
0: People don't forget. Um, but, yeah, that's a great little it-might-mean-too-much peak off season stuff. I've said peak off season. So much. Shout out too many times almost as many times as hannah b said roll tide Ooh, i haven't the watched it yet of guys
1: there is some good news i know that we um went on and on about stuff that probably isn't that important besides some of the florida stuff oh it's but important. regardless this thursday is a very very special day connor do you know what it is
0: you are oh no it was your birthday two weeks ago um your one year anniversary with the company are you doing that? no
1: actually that was that was two years ago like I
0: I mean, like, going full-time. Oh, no, like that's that like July 1st.
1: And, um, reg- it's, I almost said regardless again. No, this this Thursday marks 100 days until the first game of the 2019 oh. college football season. We are almost down to double digits, y'all.
0: That is, man. When you see those triple digits up there and you're like, oh, there's still 125 days left until the start of college football. This season is now going to be the longest season in college Please, football history. let it be. Because... We've got the week zero with uh, with Florida, Miami, and my neck of the woods in Orlando. And then, as we found out, the championship game is not being played until like the 13th, which is 15 days after the semifinals, something like that. So it's basically going to get Super Bowl-type treatment for that. So, um, yeah, that definitely doesn't have anything to do with Bama potentially being banged up going into last year's what? national championship. I'm sure that's just a totally – no, I saw a lot of those oh my gosh. on Twitter, though. Yeah. People, people like to go there. People like to go there. When are we watching Facebook Live? Now that The Bachelorette is back, and you, your Monday nights are suddenly very. So very it messy.
1: is. We're still doing it on Mondays, but I, I mean, at eight thirty, I guess I gotta figure it out. I, don't, I mean, because I, I want to watch this season.
0: Gotta DVR it because Hannah B is all sorts of SEC. They, she's gonna go on a date to Brian Denny Stadium. Let's be honest. We know that's coming. She already had like the shots of back in Tuscaloosa where she's like. Everywhere she went, it's just Roll Tide. Like, I don't think they said any other words. Was she
1: was in Ramajamas for when she was meeting with, uh, with Chris, Jammas? what's his name, before the show started. Chris because Harrison? First off, I think her and Chris Harrison should be, they should date. They got a thing. I think Chris Harrison's married. No, he's married. not. He's divorced. I think he's married. Um, trust me, Allie told me. All right. But, regardless, I'm going to watch it because it has something to do with Alabama. However, I can already tell I am going to get peak off-season irrationally upset the moment she takes one of these a-holes on a like special date and it involves anything involving Bryant-Denny Stadium or Saban... Or oh, I'm going to be mad.
0: Saban's name was dropped 45 minutes into the episode. It took that long? I, sh- I should have said an over-under on that because I think the over-under would have been like 15, 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, she said Roll Tide pretty early.
0: She did. Oh, yeah. That, if you're playing the bachelorette drinking game of Roll Tide, I, I'm sorry, it, it's almost not even fair. You, you really shouldn't do that at this point. You just save your liver. Um... But anyways, we will be back next week. Um, I think we're going to have a guest next week. A, a first-time guest, I believe. It's the tentative plan uh, to have this person on, potentially to talk about some some LSU stuff, some bigger picture stuff with the SEC. That's a little bit TVP, though. A little peel behind the onion there. But make sure that you're watching Facebook Live. Make sure that you're following on following us on all forms of our social media. Follow us on Twitter, at the SDS Pod, at C Marler SDS, at C J O'Gara. Coach O, you're a top-ten coach. What do you have to say for yourself?
1: It finally me too much. Thanks,
0: guys. We'll talk to you next
1: week.